You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rayner Roberts. Uh, it is quite early on a Sunday, but I have been up since 6am uh, talking to Radio Free Scaro about my new Doctor Who release, um, Adventures Across Space and Time, a Doctor Who reader, which is actually an academic publication uh, intended for libraries and the like, though individuals can absolutely collect it if they want piles and piles of Doctor Who reading material going back to the 70s, uh, essays and academic articles and fan works. Uh, yeah, so it's a, a book that's about it's about writings about Doctor Who rather than about Doctor Who itself, which, yeah, it's been a really exciting project to be part of. Uh, it's And hopefully... We were talking about these little theoretical students going to their media studies seminars at 9am having to read sections from our book. Uh, anyway, so that's what I've been doing. I've been up since very early and I was up late last night because we had like a three hour thunderstorm here in Tasmania. Um, so if I get a little bit punchy, that is why. Our current serial is of Knives and Night Blooms. I am still... Rushing towards the end of this. We're nearly at the end of the river. Um, <laughs> I've drafted a few more chapters. And I'm now, I think, one away from the end. But I've been like two away from the end for some time now. So, yeah, the book keeps growing. But for now, we have chapter 23. A whole chapter. Chapter 23. Down the Coronas. I'm sorry, said the voice of the god. He didn't sound sorry. Dio opened his eyes and stared into the face of Aiden. He felt like an idiot. Keeping his secret, flirting with the mysterious nighttime prowler with the dreamy eyes. He'd suspected Aiden was dangerous, but... He'd assumed a mild, sexy kind of danger. Not end of the world, smite you where you stand kind of danger. Dio groaned as he came fully awake. His body twisted in pain. Calix's absence was a knife in his gut. Aidan stood at the prow of his shadow ship as they swept on down the Coronas branch of the River Divine. The ship had changed since the cauldron. It was lower in the water, a stockier shape. Instead of the high masts, there was a mound that looked almost like a cabin, except that it had no doors or windows. This vessel was no less otherworldly for being a barge instead of a sailing ship. She was still shaped from shadows and feathers, pulled whole from the underworld or wherever gods kept their miracles. Nothing about this shadow barge was real. Aiden, his pretty eyes and pretty words, they were not real either. Dio had never really had to worry about the gods, as one of those rare people born into this land without a tattoo that told him which of them to follow. He'd been free of expectation. He had spent hours in the smaller, less reputable temples of each of the gods, learning useful facts about the various divinities that might help on his gladius exams. But not particularly feeling drawn to one over another. 
No service he had ever attended had warned of God sneaking into his dreams to seduce him. Even now, Aidan smiled to see Dio awake, as if he thought him a friend, an ally, instead of a hostage. Dio sat up with some difficulty. You took us away from her, he accused. Aidan shrugged. I needed you more. Dio saw Icarus and Valeria lying together, both still out cold. Icarus was in rough shape, banged up as if he'd been in a fight recently. He was shivering in his sleep. So much for the protection of the divine. If you didn't want us to be tied to Calix, said Dio, furious, why did you let them take her as a mark? You're presuming a lot, said Aidan. Who says I allowed any of this to happen? Dio sat up. If you didn't, we're in a lot more trouble than I thought. Aidan huffed at him. Only just figuring that out, are you? Past Raven's Gate. They were in the final approach to the city, steadily moving towards Phoenix Burning. The city lay ahead of them, a marvel of deep umber stone, curving domes dotted with bright terracotta tile and high golden spires built at the mouth of the Coronis. In full sunlight, the city looked afire. This early in the morning, it gave off more of a quiet, warm glow. They were not at the city yet. There was still the Court of Miracles to pass through, a final gauntlet. The river should be wider here. Certainly it had been widened many times by grand lords with armies of workers at their command. This last stretch of river before the city dock had long been reserved for religious transports only. No boats, ships or barges were licensed to be moored along this end of the Coronis unless they were affiliated with the gods. And yet... Somehow over the decades, the river had thickened with permanently moored houseboats, temple vessels and other less official floating structures webbed together with canvas and netting. Each of them claimed some form of religious affiliation, though they were well known to be a hotbed of strange magics, sex work, gambling and crime. This was where you came if you wanted to disappear, whether for one night or for a lifetime. When you sailed the slow pass through the Court of Miracles, there was too much traffic on the river to take this last stretch quickly, no matter the time of day. You kept one hand on your coin purse and the other on a scythe knife, just in case. It was said the only way to be sure of your safety was with a priest on either side of you. A colossal joke, then, the Dio was on a barge approaching the Court of Miracles with a god at the helm and a pair of unconscious priests along for the ride. Are you feeling okay? he asked Aidan. The look of extreme bafflement that he received from the god made him feel daft for saying anything. You were dying a few hours ago, Dio added defensively. It's not weird to ask. It was definitely weird to ask. I am not myself, said Aidan after a moment, still giving Dio that look, 
like he'd asked him to strip naked and sing. There is something wrong with the kingdom. Has been wrong since she first stepped over the isthmus from the Imperium. Even then, she's the symptom, not the cause of my distress. What did Calix ever do to you? Dio asked. Aidan gave him another of those odd, half-humorous looks. Frustration warred with amusement on his beautiful face. Not Calix, he said. As it turns out, she's not the problem. And I am a fool. Calix was still in shock when she left the temple, with Mardi and Reynard Calderon, of all people, trailing behind her. She could not believe that Nimue was gone. Her magic still hummed with her daughter's presence. No, there was something else going on here. Calix was going to find out what. The shadow barge was no longer moored beneath Raven's Gate. The Black Raven had taken it, along with Icaros, Valeria, Dio. The silken hair, however, was exactly where Calix expected it to be. Hoped, at least, not expected. None of the crew were under her thrall any more, not since she released them from her bond to save them from Calderan and his miracles. She had only four servants left under her bond, and only one of those servants remained at her side. The captain looked troubled as he welcomed them aboard. He rubbed absently at the pale tattoo that marked him as one of the Black Ravens chosen from birth. Have you prayed lately, priest? he asked Marty. She shook her head slowly. The captain nodded as if that was what he had expected. You might want to try it, he advised. Reynard Calderan hesitated before joining Calix and Marty on the barge. Calix gave him an impatient look. Do you want answers, or do you want to kill me? I absolutely want to kill you, he said in a mutter. He'd made no move to do so since his last attack upon her person in the temple. Calix waited. I want answers, Calderon admitted reluctantly. Then come aboard, in peace, she said. We'll find our people and your god. Ask him if you're supposed to kill me. Calderon hesitated. And then he stepped onto the deck of the silken hair. Not sure if this is a good idea, Marty said in a low voice. Oh, said Calix, it's very, very bad. She did not have time to nurse the feelings of an assassin. She had a daughter to... No, not grieve. She might feel numb in the chest, but that was not what was happening here. Calix had a daughter to find. Nimoway said Dio, not quite believing it. What has Nimue to do with anything? He liked the girl well enough, but it had never occurred to him that she was important in all this. The impression he got was that Calix had dragged her into the, this whole situation like a spare piece of luggage. Aidan looked exhausted, which was the opposite of reassuring. The god drew a cup of water from a barrel and sipped from it, wandering near the crumpled figures of Icaros and Valeria, who lay breathing shallowly, lips flecked with blood. He looked far too human, considering.
Nimue, said Aiden, is the beginning of the end for the Divine Kingdom. I don't know if she's part of some plot the Imperium have against our country, or if it's all... He waved a hand, searching for the words. Accidental? Dio asked. Coincidence? Destiny, said Aiden, his mouth curled up in distaste. The inevitable end of all that we are. The end of the Divine Kingdom? Of the gods? Aiden shook his head slowly. He walked back and forth on the deck, circling the prone figures of Icarus and Valeria as if they were mere inconveniences. Furniture. I really thought it was the mother. You knew they were coming. Everyone knew they were coming, declared the god of death. The end of the gods was written into the sacred codex hundreds of years ago. The seed of the house of flowers will be one with the river, that the divine shall rise as the gods fall to dust. The divine king thought it was him, old fool, or his line if he could breed magic into any of them. That's why he invited her here in the first place. That's why he put the clause in the marriage contract to make your calyx sail the river without her own people at her side, hoping to give destiny a kick in the pants. That she'd sail into the city, marry his son, and hand him all the divine power he's ever wanted. Dio stared at Aiden. He'd been a prize idiot, hadn't he? It felt like even listening to him was a betrayal of Nimue, of Calix. It was you, he breathed. It wasn't the Divine King or the Thirteenth Treasure who marked Calix for death, who broke all the rules of the temple to send four priests against her. You did it. And you failed. Aidan gave him a wavering, weak smile and coughed into his hand, his whole body shaking. And haven't I fucked myself over, he said, blood shining on his teeth. The silken hair slowed, along with other river traffic, as the river narrowed to the width of a canal. You could see the glowing orange-gold towers of the city in the distance, looking like something embroidered at the heart of a tapestry. Utterly unreal. Here it was all bustled together boats and pontoons, rafts built upon each other on both sides of the river. This was a city all on its own. Dozens of, maybe hundreds of travelling caravans stitched together haphazardly with roofs made of silk and tarpaulin. Calix stared in fascination. The air was rich with scented oil, the odours of frying food, and sweet, sticky fruits for sale. Where do we alight? she asked Marty, since the captain was busy with his crew. Not here, Marty said immediately. Too dangerous, unless you're in the market for a miracle, or you have stolen goods to fence. We'll follow the Coronas all the way to the city dock. Reynard Calderan hovered like a black cloud nearby, glaring at everyone who came near, and yet making no move to attack Calix. She stayed close to Mardi, regardless.
her last remaining servant, her only protection. Mardi stood on the deck, with one hand resting thoughtfully on her belly. Calix's own pregnancy had been so very long ago, and yet she recognised much of herself in this woman. Waiting, alight with anticipation for the next chapter of her life to begin, for the baby to be in her arms. Terrified, too. Everything would change in ways that no one could predict. At least Calix had been cushioned by the comforts of a palace at this stage of her pregnancy, not roaming a magical river with threats at every turn. Who was Nimue's father? Mardi asked in a soft voice. Calix glanced at her in surprise. What does that matter? Thought I should check he wasn't from around here. A river god, for example? Is there such a thing? There used to be when the world was young, before our kingdom was limited to our five great gods and the divine king. In the old days, there were gods all over the place, bursting out of nature. Spring and summer gods, mountain and river gods, the sun and the moon, all of that. If you listen to the songs from the Lark of the Half, they spread their seed to any mortal who would have them. Families have odd little traditions trailing back that far. Most of my kin have never left the banks of Lake Lamia because a lake spirit once promised protection to my ancestor. Other families follow the river or celebrate good fortunes at particular time of year. Everything strange or unique in any given province can be explained by a tale about a god fucking someone he shouldn't or making a promise he shouldn't or turning someone into a tree. Calix did not know whether to laugh. Mardi's tone was deadly serious, though her words were bizarre. If only this new river affinity of Nimue's could be so easily explained. Nimue's father, my husband, she confessed, was Greykirk Wilder. A solid, dependable knight, trained in the House of Steel. A noble warrior. He was a younger son from the ruling family of the Principality of Yorvigal, to at least nine generations. He had no ancestors from the divine kingdom that I knew about. Nothing so interesting as a misbehaving god in Greg's family line. The best thing she'd ever been able to say about him was that he was kind, which was not nothing, but he'd showed as much interest in his young wife as she had offered in return. It amounted to very little over the handful of years they'd shared. Oh, said Mardi. well... Perhaps they have river spirits in Yorvigal, too. I don't know much about that part of the world. Calix breathed out slowly. It wasn't just her. You don't think Nimue's dead? Not if Mardi was entertaining some notion of divine bloodline. I don't see how she can be, Mardi said. Not with power like that. I've lived my whole life around the River Divine, all kinds of wild magic, and that's what I saw at River's at Raven's Gate was immense. Calix groaned. Power isn't everything. I'd give up all my magic, every mote of it, to know Nimue was safe. Mardi nudged her with an odd smile. I don't think you're going to find the answers you need at the palace. We should probably take a detour. What you need is a miracle.
Behind her, Reynard Calderan made a scoffing sound, but he did not speak up to disagree. Icarus dreamed of Nimue. He shouldn't spare her a second thought. He had enough on his plate. Torn between his bond to Calix and his service to the Black Raven, what did a foreign child princess matter? But here he was dreaming again, and Nimue was the only person here. The girl sprawled on a large green chair, a throne, he supposed, in an echoing hall with no other furniture. It all looked rather palatial. Nimue's head was freshly shaven. She wore one of those odd formal garments that Calix preferred, the stiff fall of linen at the front, soft layers of silks underneath, deep blue and green, fairly obvious symbology. The ensemble looked like a marble column standing in front of a fountain or a river. Usually when he dreamed like this, it was all about death. He knew what he was dealing with. Nimue, Icarus greeted her. Or am I addressing someone else? She smiled warmly at him, and there was no trace of the child he had talked with on the barge. You know who I am, Icarus, she said in her melodic voice. I'm the River Divine. Thanks for listening to Sheep Might Fly. Uh, this podcast was recorded on Palawa land. I acknowledge and pay respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people as the traditional and continuing custodians of Lutruwita, Tasmania. Sheep Might Fly is produced and edited by Andrew Finch. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates. Follow me on Instagram, Blue Sky or Threads at TansyRR. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon where you can receive all kinds of bonus rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. I will not be here next week. I am sorry, uh, but I am spending the whole weekend at Terra Australis selling murder mystery novels, uh, hopefully. So I might see some of you there. I will be back after that for the final stretch, which I believe is going to be three more chapters over November. We'll see, shall we? All right, I'll see you in two weeks.